In this episode of A-Level Political Ideologies, I'll be taking a look at the glorious revolution of 1688 and the development of Parliament during the early 18th century. The Glorious Revolution of 1688 is often accidentally conflated with the English Civil War. It is actually a really different part of history and a very important one because it establishes truly a constitutional monarchy and establishes um, a Bill of Rights for Parliament. Um, It also happens almost three decades after the English Civil War, so it is a very different period and uh, you know kind of scenario um, but because it happens in the 17th century in which there is quite a lot of political turmoil sometimes um, it becomes a little bit underrated in terms of its importance. Now the story goes back to 1685 on the death of Charles II who had no children with his wife. That doesn't mean Charles II had no children he had a lot of illegitimate children with his mi- mistresses um, but there were no legitimate children in order to be proper heirs to the throne. This means that the person that takes over when Charles dies is his brother, James. But the problem is that James II was a Catholic. So this is obviously, again, in the context of the 17th century, which is, you know, it's still a lot of religious turmoil going on at this time. There is still big tensions between um, Catholics and Protestants and Puritans and all the other different factions of Christianity who are all kind of vying for their place within the state. Um, the fact that James is Catholic kind of brings back memories to a lot of people of the religious turmoil that had kind of you know engulfed Britain for so long. Now, the fact James is Catholic might be a reason for um, him to not take the throne at all. But Parliament's very wary at this time of wanting to avoid another civil war, because if they, um, you know, opposed him taking the throne, then maybe he would rebel and then, you know, another whole civil war would kind of break out. So Parliament reluctantly agrees that uh, James can become king. But it's going to raise big problems about how can a Catholic king actually rule a Protestant country? Is he going to really step back and not be involved at all in the religion of the state? Or is he going to get involved? And if he does get involved, how is he going to do that? Um, And will it go against what Parliament wants to do? And how is that going to create uh, more tension? Now, James is very much um, like his... Uh, father Charles I and his grandfather James I who believed in the divine right of kings that they had a God-given right to rule um, and that people should listen to him and he shouldn't have to ask other people um, to make decisions in his own kingdom. This means that unsurprisingly he clashed very quickly with Parliament Um, The first point being that being Catholic himself, he wants to equalise the rights between Catholics and uh, Protestants. Parliament is kind of against this idea, um, but he introduces reforms very, very quickly rather than trying to persuade Parliament to agree to them. Um, And when they decide to not agree with him, he starts to dissolve Parliament and um, saying that it's not going to meet anymore because they're not um, agreeing with what he wants um, to do. When um, a son is born as well uh, to James II, 
people start to really worry that actually this is now starting a new you know dynasty that is going to be catholic and you know it's just yeah bringing back all of these feelings that um England is going to dissolve into civil war again because the events of 1642 to 51 had shown what happens if monarchs don't listen to parliament. Parliament will potentially like rise up against the monarch. So a group of MPs in parliament decide that they're going to try and create a rebellion against James II. Um, they know that actually James uh, has a daughter called Mary and she'd married a man called William who was called William of Orange because he uh, ruled this area of Holland that was known as that was like a little principality so William and Mary were you know over in Holland and these MPs write secretly to them and they ask for their help they say you know what please help us to overthrow James because you are Protestant Mary, you're the daughter of James as well, so you do have, like, you know, a, a line of succession somehow. Please come to England and help us to oust this Catholic, um, you know, arrogant king that is not listening to Parliament. So in November 1688, William um, sails to England with Mary in with an army of 14,000 men. Um, you know, it is an invasion, a foreign invasion from Holland, right? Um, and James doesn't do anything to really oppose this invasion, mainly because the army actually defects to William and Mary, um, because they agree more with the, the, the Protestant views that they hold. So James kind of quietly escapes to France and he leaves the throne vacant. Um, he does eventually kind of stage some various rebellions to try and get back the throne, but they don't work. So James is kind of gone, let's say. Um... And so Parliament has a choice now. They're like, well, what do we do with William and Mary? They've just helped us to kind of get rid of James. But then what happens? Are they now going to be the new king and queen? What if they act um, in a similar way? You know, are they just, yes, they might be Protestant, but maybe they're just going to still be, you know, ar arguing with Parliament and not uh, and dissolving it at a moment's notice, not actually listening to what people want to happen. So they come up with an idea. They come up with a document called a Bill of Rights. And they offer William and Mary the throne, but only if they agree to sign this Bill of Rights. Um, and the Bill of Rights basically is, 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 is a law that says that they will rule according to the laws of Parliament. So essentially, they give up their many of their powers because they are just going to, you know, officiate things that Parliament is going to decide. They're, they're not actually going to, you know, kind of like rule as... as um, you know, a king and a queen properly as they as, as previous monarchs had done. And the term for this is a constitutional monarchy. And that's what we still have today because the monarch is the head of state, but they don't actually wield any power alone. Um, you know, the queen gives royal assent to um, laws that parliament passes. She's kind of, you know, involved, let's say, in the legal process and the creation of laws, but she's not imposing her will upon parliament it's parliament that holds the power and is making um the decisions so this period is known as the glorious revolution um because parliament had essentially you know removed james ii replaced him with another monarch secured their rights of freedom of speech and they didn't have to resort to warfare to do it so it's 
glorious. It's a it's a you know peaceful uh, revolution, but it is a revolution nonetheless. You know, a foreign power has come, taken the throne. The old king has gone, um, and this constitutional monarchy is the new setup of how um, the relationship between monarchy and parliament is going to work forevermore. And we can see some really important um, acts that parliament is able to do during um, the kind of you know following couple of decades. So one of them is that they pass a law called the Act of Settlement in 1701 and it's Parliament deciding that no Catholic will ever inherit the throne. So this means that actually um, when Queen Mary died in 1694 with no children and when her sister Anne, who becomes Queen, um, when Queen Anne dies in 1714 has no children, the throne actually passes over to German cousins who were Protestant. Okay, this is important um, for what happens afterwards. And secondly, another really important law that happens is the Act of Union in 1707, which is where the kingdoms of England and Scotland are formally united into one kingdom, one united kingdom. This is where we first start to, you know, kind of like hear this uh, phrase properly. Um, and it's going to have a new name. It's going to be called Great Britain. Um, so this is where the, these these terms originate. Now, due to Parliament's decision to pass the Act of Settlement, um, and when Anne dies in 1714 and the throne goes to her German cousins, Parliament's actually presented with a kind of in- intriguing scenario um, because George I, George of Hanover, who comes over and becomes George I, He's 54 when he comes to the throne um, to become King of Britain. He remains um, King of Hanover as well. But he doesn't really speak very much English and he actually doesn't really like England very much and he doesn't spend much time in England. He mainly stays in Germany. Um, And his son, also called George, who becomes George II, ruling from 1727 to 1760, is similar. Again, doesn't speak much English, spends most of his time in Germany. And so this means that actually the king relies on a small group of English nobles in Parliament who run the country on his behalf. And that group becomes known as the cabinet. And the person who runs the cabinet meetings tries to convince other MPs in Parliament to agree with the decisions that cabinet um, has made on the king's behalf. And the person who is the, the you know, let's say central liaison between the king and the cabinet um, becomes known as first lord of the treasury or the prime minister prime means first so like the first minister he's the most important person because he's the person that's actually going to the king to let them let him know what things um, are going on in britain in his absence um, and what has the kind of cabinet decided to do upon his behalf etc and King George II is so grateful for the work that uh, Sir Robert Walpole does, who becomes the first prime minister, let's say, um, and runs the country for 21 years on, on, on George II's behalf. George is so grateful that he gives uh, Robert Walpole um, a residence. He gives him a gift and he says, here, have this um, house I have called 10 Downing Street. Um, you know, it's a present for you. And Walpole asked the king if um, he could make it the official home for all future prime ministers. And that's why the prime minister still um, resides in 10 Downing Street today. And actually the prime minister's official title is still First Lord of the Treasury. 
So the Glorious Revolution, the Act of Settlement, the Act of Union, and the development of the first prime minister and the first cabinet are really, really important moments in history for understanding how parliament actually still works the way it works today. <laughs>